waking up, I mean, after trying to end your own life and believing that that's what you need to do for the last four years, that's, yeah, let's say mentally and emotionally, I wasn't any different. Physically, I'd broken up and I'm not able to feel or function half my body. Many broken bones, casts, broken neck brace, all that jazz. I'm just constantly thinking to myself, if I was worthless beforehand, how pathetic am I now? That's Matt Caruana. He's a man in his early 20s who's had to show astounding spirit to survive and inspire. My heart is literally like tingling as I'm saying this right now. This is what I do. This is who I am. And I'm truly grateful for the fact that I can say that I am that. Because beforehand I was the complete opposite. Matt put himself in a wheelchair from attempting suicide as a teenager. Firmly believing that this is it. That this is what my life has come to and what I'm meant to do. It was the end result of years of build-up which saw him struggle constantly with his mental health from the age of 12. Matt used to feel so worthless that all he could think about was throwing his life away. Now all he thinks about is how to make the most of it and encourage others to do the same. I just feel extremely blessed to be able to share my story because I'm allowing other people the opportunity to do the one thing that I didn't do for so many years. Just speak up. On his darkest days, Matt never imagined he'd be who he's become. Here he is. Anything's possible. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Before we kick this off, I just want to say thanks so much to everyone who's taken 15 to 90 seconds out of their day to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It boosts us up the ranks massively and makes a huge difference to how many people we can reach with these potentially life-saving stories. So thank you. And for those who haven't got around to it, please, if Youngblood has delivered you some value, let us know on there. Cheers, legends. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Can you pinpoint a memory where you first felt detached, like life was going on around you but you didn't really fit in. Yeah, yeah, wow. Um, man, this takes me back to being a kid, really. I mean, when I was, you know, feeling all these different emotions that were going on for me and, I mean, starting like, with, like, being depressed within myself, feeling anxious and hell questioning my life and wanting to end it, but needing to put, in, like, I put on a smile for everyone all the time. And seeing how everyone else was smiling as well, that, you know, I didn't feel that inside. I had to show what they all, I suppose, wanted to see, or maybe just at least what they're all showing me. Did you think about why do I feel different to the way these people seem to feel around me? I did, but I also sort of just thought, well, maybe they just have it all figured out. Maybe I'm just, it's just me. So what were the feelings that came up for you at that time during your day-to-day? Feelings, man. I mean, just being down. I used to just, I mean, I labelled myself as worthless for so long. That was a heavy part of my identity, feeling like I was a waste of space and not wanting to actually be here anymore. Where did that come from, though? Because... 
usually there's something that triggers people to view themselves in that way, especially when you were so young. Because I know you were having these feelings when you were around 12 years old, which is very young. So was there something that triggered that in you that made you view yourself that way? Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I didn't feel connected to my parents at all. And so to take that, I suppose, next step in some of connection, I try to feel connected to myself. And growing up Catholic, you know, the whole, you'll find your purpose through religion, through like God, the Bible, all that stuff. I don't know. It never really resonated with me. Is that and part of why yeah, you didn't yeah. feel connected to your parents? Because you didn't buy into the Catholicism? No, nah, there was a personal event that happened uh, mostly between me and my mom. And that sent that relationship seriously downhill. And when I, on the outside, it looked like I was the favorite. That it was really a whole different story. And I didn't feel close to her or connected. Uh, hell, I barely saw her as my mother at the time. So did that event influence your feelings of worthlessness? Influenced me seeking out other different forms of connection. And so I try to, you know, figure out if I was, you know, it was worth something, you know, what was the meaning of my life? And, you know, if me and hell, if I was dead, would anything change? And was I a valuable part of society? And at 12 years old, you don't really have an answer for those questions. I just used to hear every now and then people say, you know, you know, everything happens for a reason. Everyone has a purpose in life. I don't know where I'd hear these things. It, it might be like from whether it's, maybe it was at school. I don't know. Maybe it was at church. I don't know. I just, the, there were some moments where I'd hear that. And so I sort of start questioning myself because, I mean, I felt like I, I, I didn't have anything. And coming to the conclusion that, you know, I'm 12 years old. I live at home with my parents. I don't really have a job. I don't, I'm just taking up space. So if I was gone and dead, nothing would be different. But why were you taking life so seriously at that point? Like people objectively would say, yeah, but you're only 12 years old, kid. You're not meant to have any of this stuff worked out. Like why did you have such an edge of seriousness to yourself where you thought life should have been different to that? I, I Honestly, I couldn't tell you why. All I know is I just felt so down and... It just hearing that, you know, we'll find our purpose through God, through the Bible, especially in church. That was the first time I gave purpose, like any real thought, because before that it was just, I'd hear it in passing. But now when I heard that, like in mass one day, I, you know, cause I, like, I suppose rejected it. I didn't want anything, like didn't want anything to do with that. Cause it didn't make any sense to me. I then started to put some thought to it. It's like, okay, if, well, if that's not the case, then what is the case for me? So obviously there was a feeling of lack there with all of this. What did you feel like you should have had at that time in your life or you should be doing or others were doing that you weren't doing? Everyone was smiling and I felt like I needed to be that. No one spoke about their emotions. If they were down, they just keep to themselves. So I did the same thing and it really ate me up inside. Did you know how to articulate your emotions, like even to yourself? Were you just very confused why you were waking up feeling this way all the time? I didn't know how to express it. No one else did. <laughs> I have no, like, I, yeah, there's nothing for, for me to really go off. 
And I mean, school, family, both are the same. And how did people view you at this age, the people in your life? Does well at school, he gets good marks. He does well at sport, you know? Like I was, yeah, just an average kid that did well. Like, I mean, at school I was decently popular. I wasn't like huge or anything, but the point I'm trying to make is like from the outside, everything looked perfect. But you just had this emptiness that only you knew about. Yeah. Where did that lead you from being a preteen into your teenage years? Like, how were you viewing the future at that time? And I suppose how intense were these emotions? Were they something that you thought about constantly or would it just come into your mind every now and then? You'd have stretches of time where you felt good about yourself or you were you always down? Like, don't get me wrong, like the things that, you know, would put a smile on my face or whatever, like let's say I had a great day of a game of basketball. Yeah, sure, I'd feel great. Though quickly those like thoughts would settle in. I mean, I delved myself into the drugs, got immersed in all that. And I even started the gym when I was, what, 14? That was my way of, in a way, expressing like, the pain I had inside not with anyone, but I suppose to myself. Yeah, and probably and, a way of punishing yourself in a way too. Oh, I would eat and train to the point of throwing up. Like it was, yeah, <laughs> it wasn't a pretty time. And I, um, yeah, took to the extremes. Like I was, I got into the gym because I was insecure and those insecurities just fueled me to go further and further with it. I mean, at school, everyone's noticing who I am, so to speak. And like, even the, the guys in the grades above, like they would look at me like Matt's bulking up. I'd get all this recognition from all the people around me. And that's what fed me. That's what really fueled just like my drive for the gym. And I really wanted to take it further and further. And I mean, to the point of what putting on 30 kilos in eight months and dropping 20 in four months, just for one photo. Were you hoping I mean, that changing your body was going to change how you felt inside? I didn't use it as that. Like I said earlier, like it's basically like a, a way to somewhat punish myself going to the gym, you know, causing all this pain like with every set. Though I thought if I was looking a certain way, other people were going to recognize me, that I'd be someone and I could finally, you know, maybe not be worthless. Yeah, so you thought that was the route to getting some self-worth and that's, very common, I think, with young men wanting to build their bodies because even if you don't have much else going on in your life or other things that you can point to when you're trying to establish yourself as a young man, I think there's a strong sense among young men where we think, hey, if we can build this physique, that's something no one can take away from us. And we know that inherently that'll give us some value. And whether we really understand that when we're doing it or not, I think it's true. Before that, mm. what drugs were you using when you were just like 13 13 yeah I, I was using coke i was dealing to keep that up that was my main one at the time and i mean i was uh, luckily i met a girl who sort of got me off it and how did you um, get into that did. man because cocaine is pretty hectic for well anyone but a 13 year old like far out yeah i mean so like i used to skate a lot and yeah i rather had a recent experience i just tried pot for the first time like I got into that because I suppose somewhat peer pressure and yeah, because I used to skate a lot. I used to just roam around my area for a few hours. My parents wouldn't say anything, 
So I just do it quite often. And so I'd use that time to go find someone. And I came across a guy, he was, you know, he didn't look that sus. He just was smoking and I recognized the smell and approached him, smoked with him. And before I left, he, um, yeah, handed me a little something. He gave me half a gram. He's like, Hey, try this. And yeah, I didn't want to do it. I, um, I told him, look, man, I only smoke pot. That's a bad hit. I haven't touched anything like this. And him just saying, you know, what, it's your first line. It's not going to kill you. I mean, I'll do it with you. That was, I mean, yeah. Seeing him have that bump in front of me was like, okay, well, how bad could this be? And then what impact did that have on you? Like, how did you get hooked on that? Well, I mean, so now it's this emotional loop, right? And I was, you know, going to it anytime I really, really felt down, especially, you know, thoughts of suicide coming on. What did it That's do for those I feelings? Really, like, how did it help those feelings that you already had? I mean, I felt invincible. And hell, at that with skating, you, you skate as fast as you can. You, you think you're you're running away from the world. I don't know. It was just this, yeah, it was, it was such an escape. Cocaine's not cheap though, so that's extremely hectic for someone so young to be able to, well, develop a, a habit and then try to feed it. Did you get yourself in any trouble with that? I was blessed, man. I, I didn't get caught with dealing. I did my absolute best to hide this from my family, my friends. You know, at school, there was this girl in my grade who had gotten, you know, she slept with a guy who was from another school and she had smoked pot with him. It's just that one time, the whole grade shunned her out. And my family, I was always told, look, Matt, you'd be kicked out of the house if you ever touch that shit. I um, just decided to do my best at harder from absolutely everyone. But with the help of a girlfriend at the time, you were able to give that up and then you got hooked on the gym instead. Throughout all this time, how do you explain your suicidality? Like, Was it pretty constant or did you just have a few times where that was serious? What was that like? It wasn't completely completely like, oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. It was, it was more at this stage, especially with the drugs, just simmering with it and saying to myself, you know, I am I just, just repeating those labels to myself. I'm worthless. Like I'm a waste of space. I shouldn't be here anymore. And even plan, I had planned ways to go about it. Was I going to do it at the time? Don't really think I would have. So I just went for another line. But I mean, yeah. And what happened in the week leading up to your suicide attempt? So this was when I spoke about that, that photo. And yeah, I, you know, I looked the best I'd ever looked, right? And I posted this photo on, on Facebook, made my profile photo and, you know, the world just, <laughs> the world believed me. I'd done such a good job of hiding everything for what the last four years and nothing could have shown the world that I was doing great, more so than this photo. You know, I was ripped. I was big. I would say at the time I was probably the biggest guy at my school and everyone kept saying that to me. People thinking I was on steroids from like my mates to other grades, even some teachers saying that stuff. And so my ego is just fueled, right? And here's this photo that's out, out there in the world. A week later, it was January 9th, 2016. To the world, I look great. All the likes, comments, friend requests, what girls inboxing me, all that stuff. You know, that, that's all there. But how I actually feel it hasn't changed at all. 
As a matter of fact, if anything, that photo intensified the insecurities. And, you know, I woke up that morning just not wanting to get out of bed. I got up late. I'm usually an early riser, but, you know, my mom's like, what are you doing up so late? Like, you can come to the gym with me and train? Like, what's going on? Uh, I told mom to forget it. I don't want, don't want to go to the gym today. And she's like, what do you mean? <laughs> you've been going six days a week since you've started. You haven't missed a day and it's a Saturday. And also we're going on holidays tomorrow. You're going to miss out on today. You might have a week off. And I said, mom, no, I'm, I'm tired. When you took that photo and you'd been training for all this time, was that the moment that you realized that creating that and all your dedication to that wasn't the answer to how you felt? Like even when you got all the gratification and the feedback, you still felt that hollowness. And so that really ram home to you that the issues you've got aren't based on this. And so, you know, you're back to square one or you have less of an idea than ever. How much did that factor in to you descending to that depth? Well, the fact that I felt that again, after the photo had been posted, no matter how much recognition I got, I still didn't feel like I was good enough. Because that recognition dies eventually. That like, No one cares about your body as much as you do. <laughs> like People might, might give you a little comment like, oh, looking great, man. Oh, he's huge or whatever. But that, okay. They, they, they've scrolled to your photo. They see it. They liked it. And they keep scrolling. I'd put all this effort, energy, and just you know, dedication to this for what only a moment's notice. And I still didn't feel like I was good enough. And it's typical of teenagers to be self-absorbed. Obviously, we think the world revolves around us till we get older and we get some perspective. At the time, were you just incapable of thinking about anyone but yourself? It's hard to not think of anyone other than yourself when you're involved in something purely based on insecurity. It's all about you at that point. But even outside of the gym stuff and the body, just about your whole worldview, like how did you look at helping other people or the world's problems? Like, do you feel like you were a part of that world or it's just like it was you and your internal monologue and what was happening inside you and that consumed you? I believe most people who are set in a depressed state are very lost in their own worlds. I definitely was. I was very much that. And yeah, it was my monologue going on over and over. I mean, everything I did was for me, right? I'm 16 years old. I, well, I play guitar a lot. I skate. I play basketball. I, yeah, I mean, it was all, it was all about me. I didn't have any job anyone to really attend to. So like I was volunteering anywhere. I mean, it was really just about me. I had a girlfriend, had friends. And, you know, yeah, yeah, I would help my friends or whatever if they needed some support. But when that fades, it's just you. Did you feel guilty for feeling like this or did you feel sorry for yourself? I didn't really feel guilty because I just, everything just made sense to me at the time. Like I firmly believed I shouldn't be here anymore. And that was doing a, the world a favor because now a waste of space would be cleared up for something that has purpose. And do you feel like you were powerless to change that? Life was happening to you and you just had to accept that that was your fate, like the story that you decided on in your head? 
nothing else made sense to me at the time. Like those answers from when I was 12 to those three questions were still the same. Didn't have a job, felt worthless. I was just taking up space at my parents' place. If I was gone and dead, nothing would change. My life meant nothing. Were you a deeply emotional boy or the opposite? Because this sounds like you felt this so strongly. Was that the kind of person you are, like so emotionally intense or were you actually vacant? I did my absolute best to suppress and hide my emotions. And part of suppressing is also avoiding the experience of the emotion too, whether that be the gym, whether that be the drugs, whether that be whatever. I'll do whatever I could to just escape the pain. So I didn't want to feel it and didn't want to share it with other people. And that day that you decided that you were going to attempt suicide, how sure were you that that was the answer? All in certain. I'd been thinking about it for four years now. Hell, I'd actually planned how I was going to do it for, for over a year. I had this like freaking movie in my head, how I was going to do it, where I was going to do it, the time of day. I just never knew when. I just had this idea in my mind that I was so certain this was my calling in a way. I mean, I don't know what else to call it, but yeah, I felt like that was the only answer. And, you know, from the moment I woke up on January 9th that year, I mean, I was just so, so gutted. And the day felt like a serious drag. I didn't talk to anyone. I mean, my girlfriend was hanging out with her two best friends. Uh, it was a Saturday. I didn't want to hang out. I just stayed in my room and played guitar basically almost all day. And yeah, later that night, I mean, I just, there was just this feeling and just, you know, it came with absolute certainty. I just put out my phone and I looked through it and just asked myself if anyone on my contacts would even care if I wasn't here anymore. And the only person that I thought might care it was my ex and yeah, I sent her a text. She was the only person I left a note for. And I spent what half an hour, 40 minutes, just throwing thoughts into this message. And when you know the end's coming, you don't hold back. You just let it all out. And I said some of the darkest, but also some of the sweetest things I probably ever said to her. And Ending, I finished the message. I left my phone on my bed. Like this, like every single moment, like I'm just, how I say it, I have absolute certainty, you know, left my phone, go grab my shoes. I snuck out of my house and I walked up to my local shopping center. It's a 15 minute walk. Hell, it's heaps of time to reconsider. There's no second thought without any hesitation. So at that moment that you made that decision, what went through your mind? Was there regret? No. It was just this thought of like finally, firmly believing that this is it, that this is what my life has come to and what I'm meant to do. There was no regret. I don't remember hitting the ground or anything like that. But I mean, it's probably a good thing. Far yeah. out, man. That is dark. What do you remember about waking up? Waking up, I mean, after trying to end your own life and believing that that's what you need to do for the last four years, that's, yeah, 
let's say mentally and emotionally, I wasn't any different. It's physically I'd broken up and I'm not able to feel or function half my body. I had a spinal cord injury. I, um, yeah, many broken bones, cast, broke, neck brace, all that jazz. I'm just constantly thinking to myself, if I was worthless beforehand, how pathetic am I now? I failed at the one thing I wanted to do. How did your parents react? This is where it actually, it's actually really, like, it's something I, I, it breaks my heart to answer this because they didn't see it coming. And imagine waking up, you're about to go on a family holiday, you know, an opportunity for everyone to connect and spend some time with one another. But the morning you're supposed to leave, you notice your son's not home. Where is he gone? Not only is he gone, but he's gone and tried to end his own life. It was such a rude shock for them. They, yeah, it really, really got to them. They wanted to like, ask, yeah, like, why, why, why? She said, I don't know. She said, and I, yeah, never wanted to really tell anyone well, I don't think my awareness was that that deep enough at the time where I had full awareness of everything that was going on. But I knew most of it, at least. Do you still want to end your life in the months that followed? Oh, being in hospital, of course. I've, I mean, <laughs> mentally and emotionally, I'm no different. If anything, I'm worse. I'm just constantly feeling this pain. I just want to, yeah. I mean, being in a wheelchair... You know, being a paraplegic, I labeled myself as half a man for so long. You know, and I remember just before my injury, I looked the best I'd ever looked. But now my muscles have completely melted. I lost, what, 20-something kilos in the first, what, like, month or so? Everything just melted off me. I didn't want to eat. I couldn't work out. The whole I was, yeah... All I wanted was to this all to end. And then one day you randomly met a guy on a train who shook up your perspective. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, like just to pre-frame this story, I mean, everyone is asking me the exact same question. What happened, Matt? Why are you in the wheelchair? Yada, yada, yada. Whether it's people in the ward, you know, people that came to visit, even just complete strangers in public all want to know that same question, but I always said the same thing. You know, I, I had an accident. Oh, I had a fall would be, that's the most I would ever say though. But what, three and a half months into my hospital stay, I'm with my mum, and we went to, went to Penrith. So it's a, what, an hour and a half train trip from St. Leonard's to Penrith. And, you know, I got some piercings done. I was really obsessed with these piercings and mom said yes, went and got them done on the train ride back to the hospital. This complete stranger comes on. Never met him before in my life. He's a real bogan character. And I mean, before he even sits down, looks at me, what did you do to yourself? Just, just, just no filter. And I don't know what it was. Maybe how I felt because of the, like the piercings I had or maybe just how abrupt it was or both or whatever it was. I just said, all right, attempt suicide. This was the first guy I ever told this to. 
And he looks at me, laughs. And he's like, that was pretty fucking stupid. Look at you now. <laughs> and he just starts laughing at me. <laughs> and I don't know how to take it, right? But this was a significant moment for me because, I mean, not only did that feel really uncomfortable, the next morning I woke up feeling just lighter. And this was the first time I'd really sort of felt like this. And I went and saw my social worker. So this was, a, again, the, again out of character because I never liked talking. But I just went, I saw her outside of our appointments. I shared what had happened, like how that made me feel and everything. And she said, Matt, I don't know, maybe that's a sign. So you were completely closed off. Then you met this guy. Then all of a sudden you got up the next day and you felt like you could open up. What do you put that down to? I can say with conviction that it was the fact that I actually, you know, spoke the truth. I was authentic. I was me. You know, I didn't feel the need to hide behind a facade and put on a smile for the world. And it took someone that was... I mean, kind of whack to really get that out of me. Maybe I needed someone that abrupts. And then you opened up to your ex-girlfriend. Was this the same girlfriend that you sent the message to before your attempt? Yeah, she stayed with me throughout this whole thing. That question that my social worker said to me, look, I, I didn't want to hear it. I just brushed it off. I shut down the conversation. But that question stayed on my mind that entire day. And when she came to visit me that afternoon, when she asked, how are you? I just, just all came out. I was real with her for the first time in, in such a long time. And here I am in hospital, you know, can't feel or function half my body. And four months ago, I looked the greatest I ever looked. And here she is saying, Matt, I've never felt closer to you and I've never loved you more. And in my mind is just this whirlwind of thoughts and just like, what do you mean? I mean, I'm half a man. Look at me. And she, um, yeah, I mean, she was in tears. I, I was in tears. It was, yeah, I mean, quite an emotional moment because it's the one thing I'd never done before my injury. And so we became closer as a result. And I started talking to some of my mates and hell, the two people I thought I was never going to tell, my parents, I ended up telling them as well. And yeah. And how did, those, pe how did those people react? Don't get me wrong. Not all my mates like really wanted to hear it. Or maybe they just didn't know how to deal with it, how to support me. Maybe it was overwhelming for them. I don't know. But some of them did drift. But some of them you know, stuck around and they became like my real, my real friends. Very, very grateful for them. Some of them, I, I, you know, wouldn't even have guests would be there for me, but yeah, they did. They were. What about your parents? We became closer than ever. The one relationship that I was so disconnected to for so many years had finally started to strengthen. What sort of things did they say about the whole situation and their regrets. They wish that they had said something. They said that there were moments where they felt like something was off. They didn't know how to, you know, talk about it, how to address it. They wish they yeah, had, had done something different at the time. And even some other people in my life said similar things. So what power have you found in sharing your story with other people? 
not only is it authentic, it's giving a space where it's okay to talk about these issues. For so long, we've done our best to portray to the world that we're something that, you know, here's our Hollywood smile, here's the Louis, the Gucci, all these front and facade we want to show the world. To be real and just lay it down as it is, I've found has allowed other people the exact same opportunity. As a result, I mean, many times, I've heard the exact same story, Matt, for X number of years, I've been thinking feeling or acting similarly to the way you were in your past. I haven't told anyone you're the first person I'm telling. Each and every time I hear that just solidifies to the fact that I'm the person I needed when I was younger. And I just feel extremely blessed to be able to share my story because I'm allowing other people the opportunity to do the one thing that I didn't do for so many years, to just speak up. Whether it's, you know, about myself or themselves or about their friends. Either way, I'm now creating a space where people can address these issues in their life because it needs to be. If you have dirt all around your carpet and you just sweep it under the rug, so to speak, that rug is going to rot over time. And it's no different with our mental health. Well said, man. And, you know, it's amazing what you do. How have you been able to accept what you've done and not beat yourself up about it anymore? I know for a fact now that I'm living my purpose, not just through sharing my story. Sharing my story is just the, the very surface layer. I now run workshops for high schools, for corporates, for people to actually take a step within themselves so that they can rise as a result. Being able to work in the space of mental health is something I'm truly blessed with and the fact that I get to live each and every day, being able to heal other, help heal other people's wounds that I once had, that's how I know I wake up every day with meaning and purpose in my life. That's given me a full acceptance of what I've you know, been through, what I've done, to the point where I tell you I wouldn't change anything in my life. I'm truly grateful for the position I'm in. And as a 22-year-old, I can say with conviction I'm the best version of Matt at 22 years old. It's incredible, man. So you, know, you don't have days where you get in your chair and you're like, what the fuck did I do? <laughs> of course. <laughs> don't get me wrong. I love to walk. Although I know for a fact I will. I mean, in hospital, you know, they told me over and over and over again, Matt, you've severed your spinal cord. There's no going back. Your spinal cord's in two. There's no way any nerves are going to go past that level. You won't be able to feel or function below that level. Then why is it each and every day with my trainers, I'm doing sit stands as part of my rehab? Hell, today I was walking on marching on the, on the spot. Yes, I'm not walking yet, but I'm on the way there. And if I'm, what, halfway there now? Well, I've only got <laughs> to do what I've done already. I'm going to keep showing up every day because I know for a fact I'm going to walk in. How is that possible? It's a mixture of my body, my mind, and my spirit just in full alignment. I mean, not only physically doing the rehab, you know, make sure my body's in alignment with my goals, my mind to stay persistent and patient. I have to stay patient. Otherwise, I'm, <laughs> you know, just going to give up. But then belief 
in it all, having the belief that's, you know, it's going to happen. Why is it that I can, well, I have a severed spinal cord and, you know, I'm able to switch my quads, my hammies, my glutes on, for example, right? And actually do sit the stands. Yes, my arms are there to support me and my balance and all that stuff, but there's weight going through my legs. There's activation going on. I can kick my leg out. That quote unquote shouldn't be happening, but it is. Anything's possible. What do you do with those days where you go backwards a step? Don't get me wrong. I still have emotions. I don't believe I'm anxious, depressed, or suicidal anymore. I really believe that. For example, my grandfather passing at the very start of COVID, that gutted me, truly. I mean, I was, you know, pretty upset for a while. I still have emotions, but I have a different mindset. And through shifting my mindset, I've been able to truly transform my life. What about with your rehab, though? So you you have a day where things are progressing and amazing stuff's happening. Your trainer's saying, Matt, you shouldn't be able to do this. This is incredible. And then you have days where uh, you go backwards and you, you know, it seems like you've gone forward and then you've um, dropped off again. Like, how do you cope with that mentally? I just think back to the times when I was back in hospital, I had nothing for so long. I had no function for ages. Look at where I am now. I might not be doing what marching on the spot, like kicking my leg back and forward while I'm standing every day. Even even if it's just a sit up, the fact that I can do a sit up, but at one stage not being able to contract my core at all, that's huge. If there's 99 things going right for you and there's just one thing going wrong, why would I focus on the one thing? There's 99 to be grateful and happy about. So I'm just gonna, I'm going to focus on that. Yeah, good advice. How do you speak to yourself now? My mindset's completely different. The way I talk to myself, whether it's at re- whether it's in the middle of my rehab session or whether it's in the gym or whatever, at the point of failure, no, you've got more in you. You've got more in you. And that's not coming from a place of needing to be the biggest person in the world to prove some, someone to everyone. No, but to, you know, come at this exercise from the standpoint of there's so much more in me. I'm stronger than I believe I am. What has going through all of this taught you about how perspective alters reality? Oh God. I mean, (laughs) even before my injury, I mean, having a vision of what that photo was going to look like, having a vision of my attempt and making both those things a reality. Uh, what's it called after, after my injury, being able to see the progress in my mind of rehab of maybe one day standing and obsessing over it. Yeah. Things have shifted. (laughs) I now firmly believe our mindset truly shapes our life. Like all aspects, we can be in the same position physically, 
but now we're looking through the world, looking at the world through a different lens. That's life-changing. If you can see things differently, you can act differently. If you can act differently, you're going to feel differently. And you say you are the person now that you needed when you were 12. So who are you now? I'm a mental fitness facilitator. More than that, who is Matt beneath all of that? I didn't mean to rhyme that on purpose. (laughs) Who's Matt beneath all that? Matt is authentic. Matt holds himself with, with integrity. I'm extremely compassionate, empathetic. I do my absolute best to contribute to the world in a meaningful way. My heart is literally like tingling as I'm saying this right now. This is what I do. This is who I am. And I'm truly grateful for the fact that I can say that I am that. Because beforehand I was the complete opposite. Why are you going to go on sharing your story? I know it's of value. Sharing my story... It's something that connects with people. Mental health is something, it just doesn't discriminate. It affects everyone. And so if sharing my story is going to give someone a voice, something to connect to, and potentially maybe the opportunity to start sharing with themselves, I'm going to keep doing it. And you said before that you saw yourself as half a man. How do you see yourself? That identity is completely shifted. I am a man. I know for a fact I'm a man. It's not because I'm now standing. It's because of how I think about everything. And that's truly changed (laughs) it all. Well, your willpower is unbelievable, man. And the work that you do is just incredible. I know that you're influencing so many thousands of young people who are feeling that similar depth of emotion that you felt at your darkest times because we know when we're growing up that's when those feelings are at their most intense and it's not necessarily going to last forever but at the time it can feel like it can and you're an example to people that there's life beyond that that the way that they might be feeling at a particular moment and how dark they might be there's actually hope and things will get better and there are people who understand how they feel and they're not alone And the fact that you have chosen to turn a tragic situation into your life's purpose and create what you've created for the good of other people is just astonishing. And I truly admire you for who you've become and and what you do, man. So just want to acknowledge that and uh, say, keep it coming, man. Love it. Love to see it. I appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode. If you're getting some value out of the show, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Everything we do is recorded in video, so follow Youngblood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Facebook and Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, Youngblood Media, and please leave us a comment or send us a message if these stories resonate. We'd love to hear from you. And most importantly, please share the podcast with anyone in your life who might need it. We're all about reaching as many people as we can. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.